believe in God? No. Do you have any reasons that you think of to be skeptical about the existence of God? Pretty much just like everything that you see going on around here. Like all everyone who's homeless, everyone who's dying. The Bible was written what? 400 years after the events took place. I mean, if somebody tells you a story and then tells you the same story two weeks, generally things change and then we're gonna be going over a four century period. It's really hard to get things accurate. It's just something that makes people feel better about their existence. There's no magical thing in the sky because scientists um, like did studies. It's not real. It's just a lack of proof. Religion is a great concept. Nobody really has it uh, as a truth or a fact. You'll never be able to prove it, and that's the problem with religion. It's kind of difficult to, you know, ignore the inevitable and what's really existent for us, which is death, and we have no idea what's after it. We need to believe in each other before we believe in other things. What, what, has, what has God done for anyone? God. <laughs> you can't see that, but there's air quotes there. <laughs> I don't know. I just find that maybe if there was a God people would be better off and we'd all learn to understand each other a bit more, but we don't. Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. I'm excited that you are here. We're kicking off this new series, The Problem of God. Over the next couple of weeks, several weeks, really, we're going to dig into some important questions that I think will not only help us with our heads, but they really will help us with the important issues of our hearts. So, so what is the problem of God? Dozens of surveys have been conducted over, over years, over the past 10 years, really, to figure out what's up with church attendance and people connecting to the church and is religion in America going away? And, and, and why is there this increased hostility towards Christians or towards religious things? Why is there this increased population of people who identify themselves as nuns? Not N-U-N, like sister so-and-so, but nuns, N-O-N-E, like no religious affiliation. That's a growing population, according to a lot of research. People would like to say that they are spiritual, but not religious. Have you heard someone say that before? I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Maybe you have, you've said that. And so if you, if you look at all of the research from Kinnaman and Barna and Lifeway and Stetzer, you could pretty much lump all of the reasons people give for their disconnect from God or their rejection of, of church and Christianity. You can pretty much lump all of those statements into about six ideas, five ideas. And so during this series, we're going to really look at each of those issues that people take with God. In fact, a great Canadian pastor in Vancouver at Village Church, Mark Clark, he actually wrote the book titled The Problem of God. And much of this series that we're sharing with you comes from the concepts and the ideas of Mark's book. And I'm excited about that book. You can pick it up on Amazon. It's a great tool uh, to have. Actually, Village Church right now is in Vancouver is praying for onechurch.tv because they know we're doing this series and, and we've partnered together and we're just excited uh, how big the church really can be. So shout out to Village Church for, for, for having our backs as we're talking about some tough things over the next several weeks. If you ask the person on the street, like we saw in that video, what your biggest problem with God is, they'd probably respond with something that fits into one of these boxes. They would say they have a problem with uh, God and science, with God's existence, with hypocrisy. They'd say they have a problem with God and, and evil and suffering. They'd say they have a problem with God and sex. They'd say they have a problem with this Jesus is the only way stuff. They'd say they have a problem with God's existence. All of these things really... Uh, 
and encapsulate why people disconnect with God. So today, we're going to look at that final category on your screen there, the problem of God's existence, because I believe, honestly, everything else starts and, and, and really hinges on that one issue, the problem of God's existence. So we're going to be in the book of John. We'll get there much, much later on. But if you have your version app, you can go there ahead and click on the notes there, the live event. It'll be on the screen, of course, as well. We'll be in John chapter 1, and we'll get there in a few. I grew up in a Christian home. And what I mean by Christian home is for a while, we were very religious people. Both of my grandparents were, were licensed or ordained pastors. I grew up in a tradition that placed God and the Bible and prayer and church attendance as central to everything. My earliest memories as a child are playing in the kids' environments at Bethel Assembly of God in Tampa, Florida on Hillsborough Avenue. Like my earliest memories of a kid are literally being in a church kids' environment. We called them nurseries back in the day for y'all old school folks. Being in the church nursery, like I really remember being three, four years old running around there we went to church every time you could go to church. Anyone have an upbringing like that? I was in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday choir practice, you name it, Bible study, Bible quiz. If my parents were there, we were there. So I spent a lot of time in church. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I remember the first Super Bowl I ever remember was the Washington Redskins playing the Los Angeles Raiders. They played them in Tampa Stadium. And I remember because my parents stayed after church that Sunday night for a social, because Christians didn't party back in the 80s, right? So it was a, a social, and I got stuck in childcare, and it was like a, like I was in Guantanamo Bay. They wouldn't let us do anything. It was miserable. But I'll never forget that Super Bowl. It's connected to a church memory. Not to be spooky or over-spiritual, uh, but when I was around one years old, a little less than one years old, my parents, much like many of you have done, they participated in our church's child dedication service. And, and during that child dedication service, they brought me up, and, and the man who was leading that service laid his hands on my head, and he prayed, and he turned to my parents. This is a true story. And he said, this young man is going to teach a lot of people about Jesus, and he's going to lead a lot of people to Jesus. No pressure for me, right? Little one-year-old baby, you know, basically being told, hey, you're going you're gonna to live your life serving for God. But that's stuck with me and been with me for forever. So I have this deep, deep uh, connection to church and to churchy things. I thank God for that awesome foundation that I have. And if that's your story, if you have a story where I grew up in church my whole life, never smoked, never drank, never did anything, uh, I say that is awesome. And don't go try to get the story of the, the, the meth addict because you think that's cooler, right? No, we all have our own individual stories and we come from our own place and God saves every single one of us, right? We all need the same grace, whether you grew up in the church, whether you grew up out of the church. I thank God for that foundation. I believed in church and I believed in praying to not feel guilty. Anyone in the room, right? I believed in church and I believed in praying to not feel guilty. I believed in hiding my school life from my home life, but believing in God was a tough one for me. Even though I grew up in church around all of the God stuff, believing that there actually was a God was very, very tough for me, especially as a teenager. See, when I was 14 years old, my father, the man who was a Sunday school teacher, who changed the letters on the church sign, who was a tither, who brought his family to church every time the doors were open, who served with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, my father died suddenly when I was 14 years old. He woke, went to sleep feeling a little sick. He woke up feeling worse, went to the doctor that morning around 9 a.m., and by 1 p.m., he was gone just like that, out of nowhere. 
my life forever changed. The other day I was looking at a picture I have in my house. It's a picture of me on a horse. Yes, I know how to ride a horse. Keep your stereotypes in your back pocket, right? I know how to ride a horse. I was me riding a horse at, 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 at my uncle's ranch where he, that he used to live, and I looked at the date on that picture, and it was March 1994. And I thought to myself, little did that guy on that horse know that in a couple of months, his life would change forever. Like it was a significant event for me in my house, looking at this kid on that horse, having no idea that it was March and by July, his father would be gone and life would be completely changed. It wrecked me. It made me question everything that I'd been taught to believe, made me question everything that I thought was true in the aftermath of my father passing away, my mother moved us up to where her family was in Ohio. So we moved from Tampa, Florida to Youngstown, Ohio in December. If that doesn't make you question God's existence, I don't know what will. But that, if that doesn't make you just go over the edge and say, surely God cannot be good that we're moving from Tampa to Ohio in December. But we did. And the next 23 months of my life were filled with the worst type of menace to society, thuggery, as I did what a teenager would do who doesn't have a father, uh, trying to, to make sense of a couple of questions. I, I was stuck wondering, does God care about me? Does God even see me? Does God even exist? Does God care about me? Does God see me? Does God exist? Have you been there? Have you ever found yourself wondering, really wondering about God's existence? Maybe you're here today and you don't believe in God at all. And I am so glad that you are here at OneChurch.tv because we are for you. One Church is a place where you can belong long before you believe long before you believe. You are welcome here. We have space for you, and we're glad that you're here. Maybe you're here, and you believe in God, but you're, you you believe in church, but you don't know about this God stuff. Like, you, you, you kind of believe, but you're kind of on the fence. This series is here for you, too. Or maybe you're here, and you came up in church your whole life, but you've had these questions buried deep inside of your soul because you've been afraid to ask them. You've been afraid to really wonder, is God real? Is it really real? Because you've been so afraid of the guilt or the condemnation or the judgment, I want you to know that you need to know as well why you believe. Knowing why you believe is really as important, if not more important, than knowing what you believe. See, everyone has a belief system. Everyone. We use the word unbeliever sometimes, but, but in truth, even people who don't believe in Jesus believe in something, right? Even agnosticism or atheism, they are still belief systems and worldviews in and of themselves. Kerry Newhoff, he says it like this, most people are three questions away from their worldview collapsing. And I know that was true of me. And those three questions, in combination with the terrible things I were going through in life, they really caused me to question everything. Does God care about me? Does God see me? Does God even exist? Those three questions were a game changer for me. And I'm telling you, most of us are three questions from our entire worldview collapsing. So for 23 months, I was lost. I was uh, in unbelief. I was lost in, in self-doubt and questioning. And then one summer, I was forced to go to church by my mom because that's what she did. I had, was drugged to church. I was that kid. Forced to go to church with my mom, and something amazing happened to me. God started answering my questions. Does God see me? 
Does God care about me? Does God even exist? My mom forces me to go to church. Parents, that's why it's a good thing. Make them jokers go, right? As long as you pay the bills, bring them. They will survive. They'll be okay. But had my mom wanted to be my friend more than my mother, I don't know where I would be sitting in my life. But she took a stand and said, no, this house, we're going to serve God. Bring your tail on. You better, you know, she didn't say it that clean, but you know what I'm saying. You better get your butt. Let's go. She made me go. And God started answering my questions, not with emotional feel-goods and crying. He started answering my questions with evidence. The Jesus people, the church people, they loved me even when I was unlovable. People showed up in my life, friends, even when I wasn't friendly. Great men, they stepped up and mentored me and helped me in the absence of my father. I looked at the stars. I smelled the Gulf breeze. I swam through a jellyfish in Pensacola. One summer, swam through jellyfish, babysat a nine-year-old and saw the hot mess and miracle of that little kid. And one night at a church service in Pensacola, Florida, I took a step towards Jesus and everything in my life changed because I followed the evidence to where the evidence was leading me. I followed the evidence to God, even though it was this God that I didn't believe in. I followed the evidence to where it led, not to where I wanted it to lead. If you're struggling with God's existence, I encourage you, and it's our big idea today, follow the evidence before you follow your feelings. Because I didn't believe God existed, and he showed me through actual evidence that he exists. The debate about God's existence, it's really a question about evidence. According to Mark Clark, he says this, if we're going to believe in God, then we must ask what the evidence is for his existence. What are the proofs and clues that there is an all-powerful, eternal, and infinite being that actually exists? I believe there are three primary clues that point us in the right direction. Three clues. Say these with me. The first one is morality. Say it. The second one is cosmology. Say cosmology. And the third, biology. Morality, cosmology, biology. Three concrete evidences we have for God existing. Philosophers like Kant and C.S. Lewis and Plato, they've all written extensively on the fundamental reality of morality and order. Now, some of y'all just went to sleep by me mentioning those names. Let me make this super accessible. How many of you have ever stood in a long line to get something? Say yes. How many of you have watched someone skip to the front of that line? Say yes. How many of you have wanted to choke that person who skipped to the front of the line? Say yes. If the person next to you didn't say yes, watch out for the lightning that's about to strike, right? How many of you know it's wrong to skip to the front of the line? You better. How many of you know that it's against the law to choke people out in public spaces? How do we know it's wrong to choke people out in public spaces? Because written on all of our hearts, there's a moral law of right or wrong. Morality. Deeply ingrained in every single human being, there is this concept of right or wrong. Go anywhere on the planet and you'll find a universal trend. Murder, stealing, stealing someone's husband or wife, hurting an innocent child. These are condemned almost universally because written on all of our hearts is this law that says this is right and this is wrong. Some people say that morals don't transcend cultures and that moral is relative to your situation. The problem with that line of thinking is, well, it doesn't involve thinking. 
It really doesn't. Moral relativity, this idea that, hey, what's true for you is true for you is true for that's a feelings first construct. It's not based in evidence. It's not based in logic because logic says in order to have a moral law, there must be a moral law giver. That leads us to what the Bible says today. John chapter one, verse one says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. The man who wrote this was an, was an awesome follower of Jesus. His name was John, and he was a very close friend. He was a disciple of Jesus, a student of Jesus. And when John sat down to write the, the biographical narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus, he had to figure out, where do I start in teaching people about who this man Jesus was? So unlike his contemporaries, Matthew or Luke, who starred at Jesus' birth, John decides to take it to the very, very beginning. In fact, that line, in the beginning, would have been very familiar to the audience that was reading John's letter because in the Hebrew Scriptures, they begin with the same line. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John connects it with his Hebrew audience by saying, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John said, before anything else existed, there was the Word, logos, literally, God's messages, God's sayings, God's morals. And what made Jesus so powerful is he was this living word of God. He didn't just do miracles and teach well. It's that he actually claimed to be the word of God. He claimed that by seeing his life, you can actually see the Father. Jesus claimed that by knowing him, you could actually know who God was. People said they wanted to see God, and Jesus for three and a half years said, look at me. And in me, you'll see what the Father really looks like. He claimed to be the Son of God, and then he backed it all up by predicting his death and resurrection. As Andy Stanley says, anyone who predicts their own death and resurrection and then fulfills that prediction is probably worth following. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the Word. He's always been. And his Word, written on our heart, reflects the character of God. The character of God is love, to not harm one another, to serve one another. That is the moral law of God, and it's evidence for God's existence. Follow the evidence before you follow your feelings. So we have morality, and we have cosmology. Most philosophers and scientists, including atheist scientists, they all believe in one central truth, that everything that begins to exist has to have a cause. Everything that begins to exist has to have a cause. We'll dig into this in a lot more detail next week. But in philosophy, this is called the teleological argument or the design argument. Basically, every design has a what? A designer. The universe is a highly complex design. So the universe had to have a designer. To believe anything else is to ignore the scientific method. Again, we'll cover that some next week. But it's to walk down the road of irrationality, to believe that something so complex came from nothing. The truth is, not believing in God has more to do with the will than it does with belief. It has more to do with not wanting to believe the evidence. When you look at the universe, the billions of stars, the earth pitched at the perfect angle to sustain human life, well, it takes a lot more faith to believe that all of that came from nothing than to believe that there is a God who created it all. It's a great book that I read last year titled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. 
It takes a whole lot of faith to believe that all of this and all of you and all of who we are came out of absolutely nowhere. It takes more faith to believe that than it does to actually trust that, hey, this stuff came from a creator. Everything that begins to exist has to have a cost. So when we look to the stars, we look to the earth, we look to the heavens, we see clearly that that came from somewhere, from someone. And if we follow the evidence, I believe the evidence is going to lead us to God. If we follow our feelings, it's going to lead us to what we want to believe. But what we want to believe versus what is actually true are two completely different things, right? Follow the evidence before you follow your feelings. John 1.3 says, God created what? God created everything, and through him, nothing was created except through him. God created everything, and nothing was created. That includes us. So we have morality, we have cosmology, and we have biology that all stand as these awesome evidences for God's existence, that there really is a God. He really is there. He created everything, and that includes you, and that includes me. I wish I had time to talk about the complexities of our DNA, the power of neuroplasticity as our thoughts are formed and our minds are shaped. Some of you are glad I don't have time for that. So some of the greatest evidence for God is found right in your own body. Did you know that? Here's a picture of uh, a rose. What color is that rose? Say it again. You see a rose, but there's so much more going on for us for, for that to happen. The cornea allows light to enter into our eyes through the aqueous humor, the pupil. The, like a camera's aperture, the pupil controls how much light can enter into the chamber of the eye, and the size of the pupil is controlled by the iris. The lens, which is directly behind the pupil, it functions, and it brings visual images into focus. Some of you wear glasses because your lenses are broke, right? Like your, your real lenses are broke, so broken. So you wear the glasses, bring stuff into focus. Light passes through there into the retina where our visual processing, our processing begins to happen. These photoreceptors, they're called rods and cones. They process different types of light, and, and they go through this intricate series of cells, cells that have these big fancy names, right? And from there, the optic nerve, which is a big cord of, of, of these different types of cells, it leaves there, the, the retina, and it enters the brain where these electronic pulses are caused by this modem of sodium iron, ions and potassium ions. They fire off, and this process, uh, when this our axon uh, terminal receives this electrical impulse, that's all happening. And then neurotransmitters, they're fired across our synapses and they bind to these receptors. And then you say out loud, the rose is red. That's literally what just happened to each and every one of us in here. Unless you're colorblind, God bless you. We'll pray for you. You might say, that rose is green. What you talking red? But, uh, you know, if, unless you're colorblind, the rose is red. But all of what I just said to you is just a small little, that was like the layman's version of what happens in our eyes. That's not even the textbook, really, what's going on. For us to see that image, take it in, or encode it, decode it, process it, and then be able to speak out loud and say what the thing is. Like, that's just amazing. It's an amazing miracle that happens in every single one of us. And God created us. To think that that just happened by chance, by some act of random roll of the dice, is really to walk down the road of irrationality. It really is to ignore the actual 
evidence. Every design has to have a designer. John 1.4 says, the word gave life to everything. The word, that's Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. If you were here for our Christmas series, you know we talked at length about the power of these verses. Humanity is a miracle. Life is phenomenal. It's a miracle. So why don't some people believe? Why don't you believe? I believe that a lot of unbelief is because many choose to follow their feelings instead of following the evidence. We choose to follow our feelings instead of following the evidence. And here's a tough truth, but I heard it before and it's, it's worth repeating. Saying, I just don't believe your evidence is not enough. Saying, I just don't believe is not enough. In the world of science, one must produce counter evidence in order to form a belief. And there is no counter evidence for God. Did you know that? There's no counter evidence in the world of science to disprove the existence of God. There are a lot of counter feelings to argue why God doesn't exist. There are a lot of counter philosophies. There are a lot of counter emotions for why there can't be a God. And we saw some of those emotions in that opening bump. Very valid feelings that people have. But here's the thing. They're feelings, not evidence. They're not counter evidence. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about this evidence for God in Romans chapter 1. He says, they know the truth about God. He's talking about people who are currently not following God or they're far from God. He says, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. Did you catch that? Through all of creation, you can see God's qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. So Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, just look around and look up and see God everywhere, and you have no excuse for saying you don't know God, because he's constantly trying to reveal himself to us just in creation, just in our Neighbors, verse 21, it says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused, confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became what? Utter fools. The Bible tells us in other places, only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Paul says, look, look everywhere and you're going to see God. The reason they chose not to worship him as God is because they chose to do it. They followed their feelings. They didn't like what God had to say. Or I think the biggest condition, the issue with all men is we do believe in God as long as we are the God. We want to be in control. We want to run our lives. We want to be Lord of all. And do you know what we want to control more than we want to control ourselves? everybody else. We do. 
That's why you spend so much time in somebody else's business than your own. I mean, I'm just, I'm sorry, am I meddling now? I don't care. It's real talk, right? This is why we care more about other people. We're so concerned with, with the brokenness in other people that we don't realize the brokenness in us, right? We're so concerned with everyone else's mess, and, and we blame everything we do on what someone else is doing or isn't doing. All of that is a God issue. We want to be in control. We want to be Lord, not only of our lives, but of other people's lives. And Paul said that mindset caused their mind to become dark and confused and claiming to be wise and have it all together. Instead, you become like a fool, an utter fool. Listen, we all have biases, and more often than not, we live our lives trying to confirm our own preconceived notions. For some of us, we think, man, church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, so I'm going to approach church as a quest in finding all of the hypocrisy. The problem is you're wasting a lot of energy looking around at everyone else when all you have to do is look in the mirror and you'll see the greatest hypocrite ever, right? Yourself, just like I would see the same process. We try to confirm our preconceived notions about how people are going to respond. We judge people before we ever even have a conversation with them. We see how they dress. We see what they look like. And we just assume, oh, that person's fake. Oh, that person's a jerk. Oh, that person's a this. And we've never, all we do when we're living our life like that is we're trying to confirm our own preconceived notions. Some of you are here and you have some church hurt meaning you dealt with the worst kind of hypocrisy or pain or abuse from the hands of people who are supposed to be God people, and that sucks, and that's terrible. And I empathize with that pain. I've, I've got my own brand of church hurt like many of you do, but I can't view the church through the lens of my own preconceived notions of what church is supposed to be like. I love how Mark Batterson says it. He says, we have to stop letting what's wrong with people make us ignore what's right with God. Stop letting what's wrong with church keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Stop letting what's wrong in your own life and in your own past keep you from focusing on the truth that God sees you, God knows you, and God exists. Where are you at today? Why do you believe or not believe? This is an important question as a follower of Christ for you to wrestle with, for you to understand. How did you arrive at the place you are today spiritually? Was it because you followed your feelings or because you followed the evidence? How do we live this out? There's a lot of information to take in in, in, in one message. And, of course, we're going to continue down this conversation, this, the rest of this series, talking about the problem of God and science, talking about the problem of hypocrisy, the problem of evil and suffering. We're going to wrestle with some of those tough questions, but... How did you arrive at the place that you are spiritually? How do we live this out knowing that God exists? When we start to wrestle, when we start to struggle with God's existence, how do we live it out? I think the answer is found in the three main tests we use as scientists in experimentation. There's three main tests that we use when we're figuring out how to design a research proposal, how to do a research project, how to test it. The first test is we have to acknowledge our bias. We talked a little, about, a little bit about this already. We have to acknowledge our bias. If you are from the state of Ohio and you want to do a study on carbonated beverages, if you go to Atlanta, Georgia, you better be ready because they call every carbonated beverage what? Coke. And if you're from Ohio, a carbonated beverage has one name. What is it? Pop. 
right? Man, y'all are some cultured people. I like that, right? Pop. So you got to know, I have this pop bias. I don't know how I'm going to do around all these Coke folks, right? Maybe you're a soda person. Are you a couch person or a sofa person? Is it a fridge or an icebox? Is it a refrigerator? Or fr- is it a creek or a crick, right? We, we all have these biases, right? Especially if you're doing any research in Tennessee. They don't pronounce anything the way that it should be pronounced, right? So you got to acknowledge that up front. See, we're all shaped by our experiences and contexts. We're all shaped by where we come from and what's happened in our lives. We have to own those biases, but we can't let them define us, and we can't let our biases blind us to what God is doing. Make sense? We, we have to acknowledge our bias. If we really want to know God, we got to acknowledge our starting point. Where are we coming from? It's what I love about OneChurch.tv is there is no flag that's waved in here other than Jesus. We have people here who are Catholics and Pentecostals and Methodists and Baptists, and we just want to worship Jesus. And so we, we acknowledge that, hey, people have different shades they view the church from. And so what Pastor Chris and, and, and myself and the team do, we just try to eliminate all of the extra stuff that's going to get in the way of the main thing. Acknowledge your bias. When you're struggling, ask yourself, why am I struggling in belief? What's this hurt? Why am I struggling with what God's doing in my life right now? Why are you anxious? What's happened in my past that's causing me to doubt? Is God really there for me right now? And I think when you acknowledge that bias, it's going to help you follow the evidence and not your feelings. The second thing we need to do to live this out is to look outside Look outside. In, in research, we call this external validity. External validity simply means, can this test be replicated beyond itself? Is it protected from outside influences? Can this thing be protected from, from, from outside influences? And, and does it actually measure? Does it actually work? External validity. I think when it comes to our faith, we have to look around. When unbelief creeps in, look to the stars. Look to the earth. Look to your neighbor. Look to that child. That seems like such a simple step, right? You want to believe, does God exist? Man, look at a little baby, right? If you want to believe, does the devil exist, look at a three-year-old, right? You can see both of them right there. Like, there is good and evil exists because that nine-month-old is the most precious thing I've ever seen. And that three-year-old, we just want to put him in the yard, right? He's, he's a little wild. Seriously. Look to the stars. Look to creation. Get outside. Just stop. Stare at the ocean. I, I cannot stand at the ocean without having an emotional event. And I'm from Florida. Like, I cannot see the ocean without instantly my heart wanting to go to worship that. Man, there is a God who's big. When you're struggling, get outside. And then third, finally, you need to trust inside. Trust inside. In the scientific world, we call this internal validity. Internal validity just means, does this test actually measure what I'm telling you it's going to measure? Does the test actually do what it's designed to do? Internal validity. Look inside. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it says that, that without faith, uh, I think it's verse 6 maybe, without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must first believe that he exists, that he is, and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is everything. It's, it's believing in the unseen. It's, it's believing, even though I don't see it, I'm going to act and operate and live as if it is so. Faith is evidence. It's literally what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is the evidence of things 
not seen. I have to trust inside that by faith, God is there. I can look to his moral law written on my heart. At the end of the day, I know that God is there. Faith is not feelings. This is not an anti-feelings series. I don't want you to think that I'm going that direction, but we have to start with what does the evidence actually say? I can tell you, here's what the evidence says. In your pain right now, in your suffering, and what you're going through in your life, God cares about you. Just sit in that for a little bit. Whatever you're going through, whatever your battle, whatever you brought here today, the evidence is clear. God cares about you. How do I know? Because he's been speaking to you from the first song to right this very moment. From the person who smiled at you when you didn't even feel like smiling this morning. That is God speaking to you, showing you that he cares. He sees you. You're known. And he exists. I encourage you, follow the evidence before you follow your feelings. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for the power of your word to change us and to shape us. Thank you so much for who you are to each and every one of us. God, I pray for the person in this room right now struggling with belief. Would you just make yourself even more known to them right now in this moment? God, reveal your truth to them. That you see them right there in the pain, in the joy, in the good, in the bad. You are God and you are good. And you'll never leave. You'll never forsake. We're never alone. By the person who needs to take that step today to have that relationship with you, God, it's a simple step to say, God, I've blown it. I've tried to do it on my own. Forgive me. Help me. And I know as they take that step towards you, God, you do what you do. You save. You change lives. God, for the one here who's grown up in all this stuff, they know about you and about your greatness, but they've maybe drifted just a little bit in understanding the why behind the what. I pray that as we worship, as we close out singing about your greatness, God, that they would fall even deeper in love with you, deeper in love with the truth of who you are, that you are faithful, that you are great, that you are good, and that you are with us. Thank you for your power. And I thank you, God, that you are, you meet us right where we are. Even in our unbelief, God, you show up speaking peace, speaking life, and speaking hope. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.